Lord God, Psalm 19 says, The law of, of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And we pray that you would restore store our soul this morning. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Make us wise, Father, as your disciples. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. May we rejoice knowing you, Father, are sovereign in all the affairs of men. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Open our eyes, Lord, this morning to behold wonderful things out of your word. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Well, as I was working on um, what I would say this morning regarding discipleship, I thought the first thing that I would do is just tell all of you to follow Kelly and Lauren Brown around for a week, and that would give you a little idea of what discipleship looks like. Um, We're going to look, first of all, um, I'm going to tell a funny story that happened to me back in 1979 when I was at Grace Church. And as I was coming to speak to you, it put me right back then when I was young. And I was saved reading my Bible in Hawaii. When I came back from Hawaii, I immediately came to Grace Church. And I knew absolutely nothing. Nothing. So um, we would open the Bible for John to speak, and I would have no idea where to find where he was. Um, That's how green I was. Also, the first thing I learned back in 1979 that I was supposed to be baptized, and I immediately said, I've already been baptized. I was baptized as a baby. And then I learned through reading the word that Jesus was baptized as an adult. And so I realized I needed to get baptized. Well, back in that day, um, John did the baptisms on a Wednesday night. And as I was reading the word and realized that, I immediately went home, picked up the phone, called Grace Church and said, I just read in my Bible that Jesus got baptized as an adult, so I need to get baptized Wednesday. And the sweet secretary just laughed, and she said, well, honey, why don't you come on Wednesday night and share your testimony with John? And if he thinks that you uh, should get baptized, you'll get baptized. And that's exactly what happened. Um, The next thing I learned was I was supposed to be discipled. No idea what that meant, but I wanted to obey. I was eager to obey even though I knew nothing. So I went up to the outreach department, and I found a lady there, and I said, "Would would you disciple me? And she looked at me, and she was kind of taken aback, and she said, no, I don't know you. <laughs> now, I was literally mortified. When, when I speak for a little while, I will go back to this because um, you also may be turned down by someone, and I don't want you to be discouraged. Why? Because that woman that worked in outreach, Outreach has been my best friend for over 40 years. And God has a sense of humor in that. We do life together through the 
her marriage, through the birth of her children. I was in her wedding. Then the death of her mother and father, the death of her in-laws. This woman, to me, shows what discipleship is all about. She lives, lives in a 900-square-foot house, and her, her husband and she, her son, her daughter, and her mother lived in, in that tight confinement, and she took care of her after she'd had a stroke. The grandmother had to live out on the couch, right? Very fall, uh, small confinement, and yet she served her till the day she died. And to me, she was the perfect example of what discipleship is all about because we just did life together, prayed together, spent time in the Word together, encouraged each other. So um, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower. There were many disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Um, But a disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower of Jesus. Every true Christian is a disciple. A disciple of Jesus follows in obedience to his commands. But before you can follow Jesus, you must have entered into a relationship with him. I would say in the last 10 years, I have met more people who call themselves Christians and are not than ever in my lifetime. And it's very, very important that we go back to the very basics and discuss what a Christian is because you can't disciple anyone unless they are saved and have the Holy Spirit living within them. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God, and he is the creator and sustainer of all things. This summer, I went on a vacation, and where there used to be people lined up to share the gospel, in place of that this year, we had Jehovah's Witnesses, we had Mormons, we had every imaginable cult out calling people to try to invite them to come learn about God. We have to be very careful, ladies, very careful, because the Jesus that they preach is not God. Scripture declares Jesus to be God in John. Let's open our Bibles if you have them. To John 1, 1 through 3, and I just think it's so important whenever you're um, someone is reading from the Bible that you open your own Bible because it it makes it come alive to you. So in John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So right here, we know that Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with the word, and the word was God. It's the second person of the Trinity. In John 10, 30, it says that Jesus said plainly, I and the Father are one. So you see the unity of both of them. While Jesus walked this earth, he walked pleasing his father in everything that he did in communion with his father. Christ is sovereign. He is ruler and master. 
And this means that he has a right to exercise his ruling power over the creation he has made. And he has made us. That means he has the right to rule over our lives. He said, it says, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Let's turn to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Again, just getting an idea of who Jesus is. God, after he spoke long ago through the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. All right, let's look now at what the gospel message is. Because if you have the gospel wrong, um, then we need to talk about what the good news is. And there is no good news until you understand the bad news. Um, Let's go to Galatians 1.6. In Galatians 1.6, it's talking about the difference between the gospel of Christ and another gospel. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. There are all kinds of other gospels. The difference between the gospel of Christ and another gospel is the difference between the blessed and the cursed, the sheep and the goats, the saved and the lost, the true church and cults, the truth and a lie. The gospel we proclaim can either usher people into the household of faith or consign them forever to the family of the devil. That was found in John eight forty four. One of the most exciting times in our church here at Grace is watching the baptisms on Sunday night. How many of you were at the baptisms last Sunday? Raise your hand. Weren't they precious? If you didn't get to hear them, then please listen to them because um, you'll be very, very blessed. Um, One aspect that lifts my heart is hearing to their confessions of sin because Even if they're at the beginning of their walk with Christ, we have to live a life of confession of sin no matter how long we live on this earth. And so the fact that we are sinners, sometimes we hear it go in one ear and out the other, and we need to camp on that a little bit. When Jesus came to uh, ask people to follow him, He was calling them to a visible act of obedience, a lifelong servitude to him. And those who were convicted of their sin against God, who understood that they could never pay for their sins, understood without Christ they'd be condemned to hell forever. They accepted Jesus' commands and gave him their life to do as he pleases and walk away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's look a little bit about what repentance is. Repentance in the Bible is a turning from your sin to God. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, yeah, 1-9. 1 Thessalonians 1-9. 
First Thessalonians 1.9 says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There are three elements of repentance, a turning to God, a turning from evil, and an intent to serve God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this afternoon. A change of mind means a change of behavior. If you have someone that wants to be discipled, and yet they have had a pattern of years and years and years of no change in their behavior, you have to wonder what's wrong. Is he Lord of their life or not? Is the Holy Spirit actually indwelling them? J.R. Packer has written, the repentance that Christ requires of his people consists in a settled refusal to set any limit to the claims that Christ may make on our lives. I'll read that again. The repentance that Christ requires of his people consists in a settled refusal to set any limit to the claims that he may make on our lives. He is Lord. We are not. So he is in charge of our lives. And whatever happens in our lives happens because it's under the sovereign control of God. I um, happened to be given last week someone that wants to become a member of this church. And you know if you want to become a member that you have to write out um, your, yeah, your testimony. This individual wrote nine pages, and not once did they talk about repentance or turning from sin. Not once did they talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire testimony was about them. It was, it was shocking to me. And so, again, this person has been sitting under teaching for a long time and is not a believer. And so these are very, very important things that we need to look at before we disciple someone. A repentance that saves involves the emotions, the intellect, the will, and the total person. You have to have an overwhelming sense of your sin and what it did to put Christ on that cross. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Repentance means that you realize that you are a guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, and that outside of Christ, you will be in hell. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you, and you are ready to do battle with it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You renounce the world at whatever cost that is, the thinking of the world, the behavior of the world, the outlook of the world, and you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And this goes on every day of your Christian walk with God. So why did I spend so much time on the gospel before getting into discipleship? Do you understand why? We have to, all right? Ladies, do not attend church and play church. Do not make it your social playground. Do not be deceitful because you cannot fool God. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere. He knows all about what you think and what you think you're hiding. 
If you do not have a saving relationship with him, please tell somebody here today that you want to talk to them. In Matthew 6.21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All right. So now as believers, those, those that are saved, we have our marching orders in Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, meaning all that's in Scripture, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. These are our marching orders as believers in Christ. All right. When we enter into a discipleship relationship, we have the whole of Scripture that we can use to help one another as iron sharpens iron. If someone comes to you and asks to be discipled, you can be the one to set the parameters of what you're going to talk about. But always make sure that you use the word of God because I'm going to start talking about a little more practical things. And the last thing you want to do is to bear one another's burdens and yet not give them homework, scripture to help with their thinking or whatever they might be struggling with. We've said that um, a disciple of Jesus is a follower. As his follower, we have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our sin has been dealt with on the cross. All authority has been given to Jesus, and he has placed us into his family. And as members of this body, we now have relationship responsibilities. Right? Just like when you were young and you moved out of your home and you're living on your own, you become aware of all the responsibilities that you now have as an adult. Well, in the family of God, you also have relationship responsibilities. We disciple because our Savior has commanded us to love one another. This is your family. And so we need to treat one another as family members and help one another to grow as family members. When we look at the life of Christ, we see him pouring out his life to 12 men. And to think that we are all here because of their faithfulness is simply amazing. But that's exactly what we're to do, pour our life into others. So let's look at a few verses. Please turn to Titus 2, 3 to 5. We're going to camp here a little bit. Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, 
workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be dishonored. Now, that is a wealth of information right there. We are to teach women what the Bible says about how to live their lives in the nitty-gritty of life, right? And we do that so that the word of God is not dishonored. Our life should be a walking testimony of the grace of God in our lives. What we do, what we say, how we behave. And ladies, there should be no difference between how you behave at church and how you behave anywhere else, in the supermarket, anywhere. All right? We are Christians every day of the week. Now, in 2 Timothy 2.2, is talking to the men, and it says, The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So with regard to this, he, you pour yourself into those who will be faithful, those who are willing to go outside of their comfort zone and teach others. We don't just take the word of God in and not give the word of God out. Some of you here may want to be married. Anyone here? Want, I won't ask for any. <laughs> Some of you may want to be married. You need to begin now knowing how to teach if you want to get married and have children because you are the, the influence in their lives. And they grow up fast. And if the gospel that you show them day in and day out is not adorning the doctrine of God, you're going to have a rebel on your hands. <laughs> right? You need to start at a very young age, so you need to be learning now how to do that. Practice on your friends. <laughs> In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, it says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. If you are wanting, again, to be married and to teach your children, you should be practicing this now. Help out in the nursery. Help out with a Sunday school group with children in it. Even if you just go sit and help and listen to the teacher, you're learning. Discipleship takes many forms. I've heard that some of you are faithfully discipling, those of you at the table that are leaders, a group of women, and that's what discipleship is. You have a small group, a Bible study, and you're being present and in their lives. We like to say in their kitchens. It can be a disciple relationship that's more formal. Maybe you have come from a home that was broken, and all you've heard is a husband and wife, your mom and dad, screaming and fighting. You haven't seen what other families look like. You may want an older woman to take you and graciously show you what life is like. She's got five little kids at home, 
Come on over, fold laundry, do dishes, change the diapers, help, right? That's really what discipleship is. You're in their life. You're learning how to become a wife, a mother. What did we look at back here? The things we need to learn. You need to learn to love your husbands, all right? Not talk bad about them. Love them. Not be uh, malicious gossips. We as women, that was given to us. All right, teaching what is good. All of these things are things that you can learn from an older godly woman. Um, maybe you have a really tight schedule. You work, you go to school, you come to church, but you have an hour that you could get here before Sunday night service to sit with someone, bear one another's burdens, pray together, learn what scripture says about the issue that you're dealing with, that is discipleship. A little less formal, but it is discipleship. You should, however, remember that you should have specific biblical goals and objectives. And that's for you. If you're a younger woman and you're asking someone to help you, they're going to say, what do you want me to help you to do, right? And so you need to know what it is specifically you want that older woman to teach you. It has to be specific. Don't just walk in there and say, um, you're an older woman, and so I'm supposed to be discipled, and so here I am, right? What is it that is burning in your heart? What do you need to know? And she will use the word of God and life to help you in that area. When you're looking for a woman to disciple you, the first thing you need to do is pray. Pray and ask God. All right, in a few minutes, I'll tell you all of the things that I did wrong that my friend and I laugh about when I asked her to disciple me. Um, but the first thing you need to do is pray. Then ask that person if they would be willing to spend time with you. And then you need to be flexible because this busy older woman may have a lot on her plate. And you need to be willing to fit it in when she can fit it in. What you're looking for in a woman is not that she's perfect, because there are no perfect women. You're looking some, for someone who is mature, has a growing relationship with the Lord, and is serious about their walk with him. Put yourself out there. Go ahead and ask. All right. I've asked a few people in this class to specifically tell me some of the things that are challenging for them. And as you know, I said some people have come from a challenging background. Maybe you're brand new to Christ. You're a new believer. The first thing you might want to do is go to the fundamentals of the faith class how many people here have been in Fundamentals of the Faith? Raise your hand. Wow, so a lot of you have not been in FOF. Fundamentals of the Faith is a great place to start because you're going to be in a class, usually a husband and wife, in which they're going to go through what it's like from the attributes of God 
to what the Christian life is like. They're going to help you to grow. I think they say, is it still 12 to 15 weeks? I'm not sure. Each week is a different topic. That is a great, great place to start. And so as a woman, um, you might want to be in one that's got a husband and wife so that you can have uh, the wife come alongside you. That's usually why she is there with her husband in that class to be a blessing to you as a woman, to help you. Um, If you come from a broken home, let's say your father left when you were young, you may have issues that are very specific. Some might include needing to go to somebody that's a counselor to help you. For instance, as I said before, if all you've seen is violence in your home, um, maybe you're afraid of men. What does the Bible say that a married woman and children should look like at home? And you're saying, well, I come from a home in which my mom was beaten and um, there was drugs and alcohol in my home. And I come to church and it seems like everybody has it all together and nobody really knows what I've been through, you might want to begin in a counseling relationship with someone if you have very specific and difficult struggles that an ordinary, someone that hasn't had those experiences wouldn't understand. Not that you have to have someone that knows exactly that, but there has to be a depth of counseling if you've been um, raped, if you've been... Very, very challenging situations in your life. Um, that's you might find that you're 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 talking to a woman who can't help you in that regard. And most older women will know when you're at a place in your life when you need further help than she can give. All right, but don't be afraid to ask. Maybe what you're doing is you're asking a married woman with children questions about how to date, right? Maybe you're asking, where do I find a godly man? I'm now 35 years old. I've come to this church. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you, there's a lot of ladies in this group that would, excuse me, older women that would love to pray with you and give you some suggestions there. As a single woman, I cannot help you with that regard, (laughs) but there are many women. I I came from a discipleship class that we did through Anchored, and they had the questions given to them, and then they responded to those questions about what younger women would want to ask older women, and it was kind of eye-opening for me. Um, But if you want to be married, I would go to a woman who is married with children that has some experience behind them to help you with anything when you're talking about meeting a guy, et cetera, and what to do or struggles that you've had in that regard. What does it mean to be content, right? What if God never allows you to be married? Are you going to be content or are you going to be bitter? I had a roommate who is now with the Lord, but um, she was a strong Christian woman up until 
the very end of her life when she wanted to be married, and she decided she'd take things into her own hands. So she married someone, left him within a year, and her life became disastrous from the guilt of what she had done. Ladies, don't go outside the will of God. Do not go outside the will of God. It will be miserable. So I have firsthand experience in watching that, in pleading for them not to be married, not to get married, watching them. I brought someone else along to ask them not to be married. And yes, this was a man in the church. So, all right, be, be very, very careful. Let's see. How much more time do I have? Ten minutes? Okay. Uh, maybe you want to learn to study the Bible better. Homiletics. Who knows what homiletics is? <laughs> Anyone? All right, go see Kelly. Go see Kelly. Maybe, maybe you want to learn to have a quiet time. As simple as that sounds, maybe there's no structure to your quiet. You wake up in the morning and you don't know where to go. So you go anywhere. So your mind is all over the place and you don't really have know how to say, open up the Psalms and begin there, pour your heart out to the Lord, then start a study. You could come to everyone's grace, right? What's so beautiful about everyone's grace that is different than some of the other ministries is you take those questions home, we're in the gospel of John, you bring them home and you get on your knees before God and you say, Lord, I am opening your word. I want to know you better. I want my relationship with you to begin and to flourish. And you start answering those questions. That dive, drives you deeper into the word of God where you, you have to answer, right? So it's wonderful. Then you come to church. How many of you are in everyone's grace? Pretty many. Good. Come to church, hear a lecture on that, and then you go to your room and you further delve in. That is a great way. And that is a discipleship relationship, right? You have your leader or leaders in your group. You can call them at any time and ask questions. That's a great way to be discipled. Um, I, I told you a little bit earlier about my situation with my best friend and here are a few of the things that I did wrong. First thing, I, I had no idea myself what discipleship was. And so I had no goals. I had no plans. I no, had no anything. So I walked up to her in the middle of a work day. She's seated at her desk, right? And outreach had at that time lots of other desks. So this wasn't in private. And I just blurted it out. So she was very taken aback right? She's not somebody that, uh, well, her emotions are right there. You can read them, right? And it was just like, no. So look at the things I did wrong, right? I went to her in her work day. There were people around, so it wasn't private. Um, don't do that. Don't do that. Pray about it. Do it in private. Like I said, I, I suggested, I told Kelly I would write a letter today, but Write yourself those goals and objectives, and that will help you to help her. Because she may say no simply because she doesn't have any idea what you really need or want, right? And that's like, she doesn't know how to plan for that. So 
she might just off the spot say no. After you ask, just say, you know, let me know in the next couple of weeks if that might work for you or if you have any space in your day um, and leave it real open and let the Lord work on her heart just as he's worked in your heart. I often think of when the Lord chose 12 ordinary men and discipled them for three years. Um, Jesus walked everywhere in life with them. One of my favorite stories is the woman at the well. And in that story, he runs into a Samaritan woman and he asks her for a drink of water. Confused, she asks him why he's talking to her because, first of all, Jews don't talk to Samaritans and men don't talk to women. And so, confused, she says, why are you asking me? Samaritans have no dealings with Jews. And as the story progresses, he begins to evangelize this woman at the well. He tells her, go get your husband. Uh-oh, what's going around in her head when he, when he says that? And the, word, the woman answered and tells him, I don't have a husband. She thought it would end there. And Jesus says, you have said correctly you have no husband. For you have had five husbands. Think about this lady's life. She's had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. So she's living with a guy. All right? That's a pretty messed up life. I, <laughs> that's like um, as sinful as you can get. And... He looks at her and says, she looks at him and says, I know that the Messiah is coming. Now, how did she know that? He's going to declare everything to us. And he looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. She drops her water pot, <laughs> and she runs into the city. Um, about that time, disciples who've gone off to get some food come back. And they ask him to have something to eat, because that's what he did. He sent them in to get food, and he was tired. And he said, I have food that you do not know about. The disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. All they're doing is life together. All they're doing is getting lunch. Look at all the lessons Jesus was teaching his disciples from that simple outing. 
He was working with his father. He exposes the sin of the woman's heart, who then runs to tell everyone that she thinks she's found the Messiah. And they come running to the well. And the disciples, they're still focused on filling their stomachs while Jesus is working in the spiritual life of this woman. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. All right, I would like to give you a few books, or at least one primary book, that might be very helpful for you as you think about discipling someone else or being a disciple or being in a discipleship relationship. Pat Ennis and Lisa Tatlock wrote a book called Becoming a Woman Who Pleases God. The Master's University has done such a marvelous... How many people went to the Master's University? You do not know how blessed you are. Many of us would have loved to have been able to go to the Master's University. You are so blessed. Um, in this book, she goes through chapters. A wise woman builds her home. Chapter two, acknowledges the importance of the home, develops a heart of contentment. She put that right at the beginning. Practices stewardship, biblical hospitality, all things you can be learning as single women. Develops a biblical worldview, accepts her position in the body of Christ, practices the title two principle that we just talked about. I'm going to read a little something from um, a book that um, one of the many books I was looking at. It says, for almost 2,000 years, Christians have comforted and encouraged one another with the knowledge that Jesus is their good shepherd. In contrast with the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus stated that he had come that his sheep might have life and might have it abundantly. This was no idle whim of our shepherd. He purchased this abundant life at great cost through his death. In our day, there seems to be a lot of confusion about what constitutes the abundant life. In fact, the phrase abundant life has come to mean almost anything. Psychological health. To others, it means material prosperity. And still others believe that it means freedom from suffering. In contrast, we believe that the abundant life is found in the pursuit of God-honoring holiness. It is holiness, the humility of spirit, the mourning over sin, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness that will produce in us that happy blessedness that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. The abundant life is life that is freed from the power of sin and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, focused on the pleasure of God and resting in his love. This past summer, as I was preparing my online classes for college, I decided to do something new. So I did a little icebreaker. 
and I wrote six questions that each of them were to individually send to me their answers. And to put it mildly, I was shocked. One question was, who is your hero and why are they your hero? Bless you. Of the first six of people that responded, four said, I am my hero. I was shocked. I said, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) Another question they had to answer would, what would you like to change about yourself? The answer, nothing. How frightening is that? That is the world that we go out to when we evangelize. But sadly, what Christian women need to know to live the abundant life is not found in many Christian books today. Instead of guidance in knowing and pleasing God, which is the way to finding the abundant life, we are given man-centered philosophies on how to love ourselves more, how to get more out of life, how to assert ourselves, and our greatest need is being ignored. What we need most of all is to know God. We need to be intimately acquainted with him because he has designed us to live for him. The first step we need to take is to admit that we were created for his pleasure, not our own. Our true happiness and abundant life springs from setting our eyes, our hopes, our desires on Christ and keeping them there. Once we determine to keep our eyes on Christ, then our love for our neighbor will grow. This love of God and love for our neighbor will energize us to reach out and offer God's love and freeing truth to others. It will be motivated by studying the word of God and living lives of godliness so that our Father is pleased and others are blessed. Well, ladies, I've gone over a little bit, but finally... You will not grow if the source of life is yourself. If you have no hunger for the word of God, no desire to love and serve others, ask yourself if you're even the Lord's. That can't be. If you are not truly saved, you are in a very dangerous place. So please, again, cry out to God for salvation. And if you need help, talk to someone. One thing that can very easily happen is your heart will get cold and then you will not be able to repent. So ladies, together, God is the source and meaning of all life. His glory is paramount, not ours. His word is the light of life and we follow him wherever he leads. Let's pray. Precious Lord, you are our Savior. You are our Lord, and you call us your friend. May the ladies in this room give their lives entirely to you, and may your glory be our passion. Amen.